Yeah, so we're just talking to our listeners. Is that the idea? Yeah. So we can just go for it. Like, um, hi, welcome to Chats Over Coffee with my yoga teacher. I'm Kayla, the yoga teacher part of this chat. <laughs> okay, and I'm Peter, the not yoga teacher part of the chat, but I'm also a comedian. <laughs> so we don't usually do an introduction together, but we've changed things a little bit. So this is now out out on the first of the month now because hey. i believe you've got stuff going on this month haven't you and you people can get involved can't they yes yeah because we never do this but we should do this because we never do this it's stupid that we haven't done it i know so have you got anything going on in october that you want people knowing about that they, they might be able to get involved in? there is a podcast after this bit by the way so if you're listening to this in three years time and you're thinking <laughs> it's not relevant then that's okay because there'll be a show that will be relevant for all time you know, yeah, but, shortly, but, but maybe don't skip anyway, because you never know what I might say. It could be really interesting. It could be. <laughs> yeah, so in October, I have an availability to take on some private clients. And I also have regular online classes. So I'm a yoga teacher. If you've been listening for a while, it's kind of obvious by now. But that doesn't mean that I'm teaching. So, you know, join. It, that would be great if you want to join. I teach online. And from October, I'm going to be teaching Tuesday's lunchtime, Friday's evening, and Sunday's morning. And they're all online, all suitable for beginners. And if you have any questions, obviously, you're always welcome to reach out. To join a class, either pop me a message on social media or go to my website, kaylamccormackyoga.com. I'll put a link to that. Yeah, go to the link in the show notes. <laughs> That's what I've got going on in October, but what are you doing? I'm just gigging because that's basically all I do. But you fancy it, you happen to be in Epsom, Cheltenham, Millsborough, Stockton, Leamington Spa, Sirencester, Manchester, Sunderland, Moulton, Oxford, Birmingham or Durham. Although Durham is supporting Jason Manford, so that'd be really expensive. So sort of dropping that in. But <laughs> if anywhere there is near you and you want to see me sort of trying to get drunk people to respect me i've got listings on my website which is peterbrushcomedy.com and there's a page for live dates so i think it's forward slash live but i will put a link to that as well do you want to talk about your holistic thing or is that yeah but i'm really surprised how many places are you going to in one month Blimey heck is that normal do you normally go to that many places yeah wow i'm i'm, I'm a busy guy i don't bang on about it but <laughs> So basically, I'm now a holistic health coach, but I don't want people to think that I'm new to coaching. I think that I wasn't sure if maybe I should say that first, because right. so as a holistic health coach, you look at all areas of someone's life when we're trying to find a solution. So as a yoga teacher, I've already been doing this for a long time. So if people come to me with issues, like for example, if you come to me with issues with their digestion, I'm not just going to say like, oh, what do you eat? And here's some antiacids or something, you know, but also looking at, you know, how much exercise you do, what type of exercise, you know, how many trips to the loo, how much <laughs> stress you have in a typical week, um, what keeps you busy, what you love to do. We just looking at everything. So that's the holistic part of holistic health coaching. But being a yoga teacher, 
it's really common, especially when you start to really become an experienced teacher, which I am after, you know, over seven years of teaching and over 2000 hours that people come to you with these questions. So people come to me quite regularly and will ask me, oh, I'm having issues with this. What do you suggest? And maybe they're expecting some movement, like literally just, oh, well, let me lay in child's pose or have a rest. But it's hard not to say, I have, you know, I have knowledge and it's hard not to give more than just that. So more than just like, oh, do some exercises. Because in the end, like we are holistic. Everything that we do with ourselves connects into each other. What you eat affects how you sleep, yada, yada, yada. So it's silly just to try and look at one thing and not look at the bigger picture. So recently what I've done is a training course just to see what a holistic health coach actually does. And then you kind of put your own twist on that and adapt that to yourself. And that's what I've been doing. And that's what I want to try and get into. It's a lot more personal. It's one-to-one. But the maximum time I work with is six months. So you wouldn't work more than that. It's very rare that you would need more time than that. And then like a minimum time is one 90 minute session. And then if you need more, if it's obvious you want more than that, then it's like a two month kind of sign up and we can go from there. I don't know. It's really interesting. I find it really, what do you think? What's your thoughts when I've just described all that to you? I'm just curious. You can keep or leave as much as you want of this. In I thought that was a good uh, pitch for it, to be honest. Oh, good. So if anyone's interested in that, then also get in touch. Is that right? Yeah. So if you're interested, find me on my social media. I actually have a quiz you can take to see if my specific type of holistic health coaching would work for you. Or you can just message me. I've got a form on my website and you can message me on social medias. Okay. So don't be a stranger. <laughs> yeah, don't be a stranger. Reach out. I love talking to people. And and to be honest, you do the you do the quiz. If you want, you can have a free consultation with me. It just goes hand in hand. And then after that, we can decide if more is necessary or not. So is that is that we should say enjoy the show, shouldn't we? And then the show will start. Oh yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy the show. Just reminding yourselves, you know, we're, we're very lucky to be here. So I don't know how much you know about science and space, but our galaxy has a galactic habitable zone. So when we're actually looking for habitable planets, obviously when we look really far, it's different, but they have to be in a certain area. If they're too close in, they'll be too chaotic. You would never get planets to form. If it's too far out, you know, it's unlikely to get this, the start of form in the first place. But I tell you what, the house price is so much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I heard that if you've got hay fever, you should have local honey because it's made from the same flowers. Yeah, it depends on how clean the hot honey is. But yeah, that is true. But it have, a lot of the time, the honey you buy in the shop, especially runny honey, is um, completely filtered and boiled. Oh, okay. So, so there's not really much of that kind of pollen and stuff left in it. If you get raw honey, that happens to be local as well, you'll actually get bits of the plant in the honey. And then, yes, it will, it will help you with your hay fever because you're slowly um, introducing the plants that could potentially be the problem. But obviously, if you're allergic to pine trees, it won't be any good. <laughs> Do you know things a bit blasé? If you're using local honey, that's a stolen produce from local bees, isn't it? Oh, so right, the yeah, bees yeah. are more likely to come across you if they go into your house <laughs> eating their honey. Whereas, the bees are going to come onto your plants and go, is that my honey? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, they know it's been stolen, but like, the, if you sell it 200 miles away, 
they're never yeah. going to know are they so it's mm-hmm. like when burglars steal things from people's houses they say they don't shit on their own doorstep they, they steal stuff and then they'll sell it miles and miles away yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know like it could the bees like if they clock onto the fact that you've got their honey they'd get a posse together wouldn't they maybe i'd like to think of the bees like that like a little gang i don't know i just had some image of like bees going on facebook marketplace asking if anyone's noticed any <laughs> honey <laughs> like being sold or would they dance it because bees dance to communicate don't they so it'd be like a tiktok stolen my honey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for the benefit of people that can't see you you did a big dance there yeah i do dance obviously <laughs> so we were going to talk about the brain today are we well yeah i suppose so but i've ruined this uh, already you've ruined it because you said weeks ago about talking about brain health and then you wrote something about mirror neurons yeah and then i stepped in and said I'd read a book that said that we shouldn't get too excited about previous assumptions about mirror neurons. Yeah. And it would have been better if we'd have recorded and you'd have said that and then I'd have stepped in and gone, actually, I think you'll find. (laughs) That would have been more dramatic. It would have been a better recording, but... (laughs) but what I've done is I've given you the chance to redeem yourself by letting you borrow the book. Yeah, so I've got to read all about it. (laughs) <laughs> but which, and I've forgotten what it said now so it's, I'm going to just look like an absolute nodding dog now <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well the the book said and this is the impression that I got was that mirror neurons were is it pre-motor cortex uh, I've written PMC down because that's what he kept calling it in the book and I forgot what it stands for <laughs> yeah pre-motor cortex yeah so that part of the brain that a lot of our movement comes from that. So like when the brain says, move your hands, and then your hands move. Basically, the impression that I got from the book was that mirror mirror neurons are neurons in the brain that fire, that like start to activate, like in mimicry, when we see certain actions take place. So like the example they gave in the book was picking up a glass of water and drinking it. But then they said that in certain circumstances, picking up a glass and loading it into the dishwasher didn't make the mirror neurons mirror. Right. But one of the things that I read, which is what brought it into our discussions in the first place, was just a tiny little snippet out of a book that said the emulation of movement helps us develop compassion using these mirror neurons. You mentioned the mirror neurons. And I was thinking like, oh, that kind of makes sense but then based on what i've read from your book it could potentially be jumping the gun a little bit Mm. because i think it's a bit like basically what they're saying is they she's written developing compassion and i think that's actually the key because it might help you learn but it's not going to give it to you if that makes sense it's going to may potentially give you potential you might have to row back on some of this because i'm go on so go back to the glass of water thing okay so is the idea that you see someone lifting a glass of water and then you do that as well or you recognize that you can do or what is what why are you f- mirroring that with you why Ooh. no <laughs> no no, no. Ask, ask a third brain uh, surgeon okay, right. <laughs> uh the fact that the thing is is when when you see certain actions happen you want to do them uh, okay right so like 
you you want to copy or the muscles will kind of maybe even spaz or you know how yawns are contagious that sort of thing i mean i don't know i wouldn't i haven't seen anyone write that mirror neurons and non yawns are, are the same you know yeah but in principle yeah 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 so like and they they were using the example of cringing when you see pain they re- they use the example of like when you cringe ooh, you know when you see pain and stuff like that because you potentially could feel it it's almost like you're getting empathetic pain or vicarious feeling or pain in your in your brain is that right so i think it's just because your body is like a physical reaction and so you could take that further if you wanted to but but one of the things they said in the book was that you know people with certain variations of autism who don't have empathy still have mirror neurons so that's not necessarily a direct link to developing compassion but that's that's not to say that it won't help you understand but it's not a direct link that there might be something else in the brain that actually gives us that compassion actually saying that it like i don't know gives you consciousness and 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 empathy and all of this is a bit of a leap too far i think is what they were saying i sort of maybe shouldn't have started talking about that why did you mention that before though so she, so she mentions in the science of yoga, she mentions about using the practice of mirroring people in a, in a more literal sense as actually being in a room or on a, you know, on a screen, but seeing other people and trying to do the same thing as exercising this capacity in the brain to mirror. So this actual like using the brain to try to do that to mimic someone. And then she mentions that it could potentially help develop compassion. But like you're saying, maybe that's a leap too far. But that's not that far of a stretch in terms of I think the problem with science is scientists and medical scientists, they want to drill down. So saying that that neuron does something you can't say that. What you can say is it's all interconnected and perhaps the ability to mirror can help you grow your ability to be more empathetic. But saying that that neuron does that, it's a bit like we can't prove that. We can't prove that those neurons do that. What we could say is that over as a whole arching system, as a whole brain, potentially the ability to mirror could potentially help us with our empathy or that something like that or compassion and understanding. But something else, even if you want to take mirror, mirror neurons and put them in the bin <laughs> and say that's too weird and you don't want to think about it like that, there's a real, uh, it's real, science has proved that when you experience new things, uh, every new experience you, you have builds new connections in the brain. And we call that neuroplasty, so that connections between the neurons can uh, build and you can get more of them. You can kind of think of it as like the branches on a tree. Maybe in the winter it looks really sparse, there's not many branches, or if the tree's been trimmed or something like that. And then when it grows fresh and there's lots of little tiny twigs and there's lots of bits and there's lots of connections. So it's kind of like that idea. You can build more and more connections in the brain by experiencing new things. I think I wish I'd have read that again before I let you borrow it because I can't remember any of that and I couldn't get involved there. Oh, so. I'm sorry. Oh no, it's so difficult when it's science, though, isn't it? Because it's not standing still, is it? Science. So, mm. how old's your the Science of Yoga book? Oh, that's from most of the things she's quoted are 2017, 2016. That better kind of be a very different book in 1950. <laughs> yeah. And in 50 years' time, <laughs> yeah. they'll look at that book and think, goodness, like. 
they won't necessarily say oh yoga's like yeah. a load of bollocks now it's no good for you but they might some of the like science <laughs> that has been used to justify certain things might really look outdated you know it's just the way it is and you can't see that now yeah. because you only in retrospect you sort of think oh i can't believe we used to think because there's still gaps to be filled in like yeah. how much do we really know about the human body really no obviously you know more but until you know even more you yeah. don't realise how naive your current understanding of these things are. So I always sort of feel like that. Now I'm not shitting on your on your yoga science or whatever. I, you know, I mean, there's probably loads of scientific justification for why it's good for you to do. But it's like that whole thing that if you have a thesis for something and you basically get someone to do your research for you, you can pay for any outcome you mm. want, can't you? In some respect, I'm not saying there's a book out there called right. um, like debunking yoga and saying it's all a load of nonsense and that it probably isn't but if you were writing a science of yoga book then you're gonna look for the scientific articles that support what you're trying to say and that yeah say so i was probably would probably be sympathetic to a lot of it but i mean maybe i sound like a conspiracy theorist here but that's almost like the science of yoga is a step away from like getting a book called the science of christianity or something where you could use like i remember when i was at school and we were taught about genesis obviously in the scientific record the world was not created in seven days was it but i remember i remember quite a smart kid saying to me once that although the like literally the world wasn't created in seven days if you take like all the things that were done in those seven days it does work scientifically with you know how things would have started or whatever like i don't know what his justification was but he was still applying the scientific methods to justifying the genesis story which you could do if that was if that's what you wanted to do because then that allows you not to have the cognitive dissonance of believing two things that are contradictory but I'm I'm yeah. sure that the that is I'm sure there's loads of actually truthful things in your science of yoga book. I feel like I'm not trying to debunk it. Well, I mean, like anyone can do a study, and then someone else can use that as their backing for something. You know, like if they say the benefits of meditation, people can feel. But to put that in writing, you have to do a study to prove it. So then people do studies like, oh, you know, meditation on retreats, meditation in your daily life, meditation at work. Medi and then before you know it, you've got all of these studies that talk about, you know, meditation based on different scenarios. So then if you were writing about it, you could either touch on all of them and get your book like that you've got that's a million pages long or you could keep it quite short and sweet and just say yoga improves mood by reducing you know stress hormones and then you could back that up by having references at the back of the book that actually reference the papers you know that say you know observes meditations for you know so many retreats in california by dr yeah. blah 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 you know or whatever but that's not to say that you hope these things are peer-reviewed and stuff like that but you don't you don't really know and even it, specifically regarding the the mirror neurons, there are still people that just absolutely love the idea that your mirror neurons give you empathy. Even you know, big doctors and stuff is what is what they were saying. And if you look online, they love them. But that's not to say that they're right. <laughs> Suggests to me even more so that they might be more likely to be wrong if you want to believe something. Then you know you're slower to. Yeah, I mean, I've always. 
I've always really, really enjoyed the idea of a cyclical universe. I think that sounds really pleasant. I really like that. I like the idea that we big bang and then we shrink back down and then we big bang again. It's like, yeah, again and again. Woohoo, we never end. But right now, that is not what science tells us happening. So we have to let go of the desire for a cyclical universe. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and take what we've got. I mean, that's not to say that later we won't change the Hubble constant and get, get a more cyclical universe. But right now, we don't. We don't have that. That's not what it says. So it's a yeah, bit like, yeah. oh, darn. <laughs> but you're right. If you're biased towards something, then then it does, even if you don't want it to, even if you're trying not to, it will Im- influence what you what you do and how you read and interpret things. So, But I mean, in terms of physical health, we have come a long way, but there's still a long way to go. Like we still haven't even, you know, in my opinion, we haven't really got to grips with the whole gut thing. There's a lot going on in the gut in your in your actual intestines and we hold a lot of the like microbes and stuff there you know bacteria and we know that we know we have bugs inside us that help us survive and live and give us what we need and there's a lot of connection between your gut and your brain you know the idea mm-hmm. of a gut feeling and you know trusting your instincts and stuff like that and we still don't know much about that and why that is and you know it's not just a case of oh i feel sick because i've seen something traumatic or something like that you know it's not just a a physical reaction to a feeling but the other way around as well that you could potentially feel something when you don't really know why like your brain missed it but your body felt it or something like that i don't know yeah but your brain's reactive anyway isn't it so you know going back to not believing in free will and stuff, which I don't think I do. I think I'm quite convinced by the arguments against free will. Who's controlling you then? Well, no one, really. Well, then that's free will. No. <laughs> no. So when a thought articulates itself in your brain, it's already it's already happened. So you right. thinking that you're thinking of something is a reaction to you already having thought of it. You don't conjure it itself. It just happens. Right, right okay. So... When you say that your brain and your gut, you're feeling something before you're able to articulate it in your thoughts, because but your thoughts are always, mm. they're just an articulation of the feeling that you have anyway, and you're using the medium of language to articulate it. But it's already happened. Like You're not consciously mm. thinking. Thoughts are just happening mm. to you. It's not that you have absolutely no agency over your life. It's just the way that like thought works that you don't mm. I mean we did talk about this sort of before but only in like a very like yeah touching the surface of it um mm. so an experiment for example I don't know this is not to deduce but if I was to like completely just rip off the uh Sam Harris experiment of a f- free world if it was to say to, if you just say to someone like you can think of just think of a film out of nowhere. It could be any like, and it doesn't. There's no limits on there. A film will come into your head, but you didn't decide to put it there. It was there, and then you. Do you know what I mean? That's so. That's mm. like if I asked you to think of a film now, you wouldn't be consciously picking it. A film would occur to you in your mm. head, and then you would either decide to say that, or you'd think, "Oh, mm. I'm not going to say that one. I'll just like let another one." Turn. I don't even. Turn, <laughs> I don't even think I like the Minions or whatever. Like, yeah, <laughs> in the mean. So, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's a detour on the whole like gut feeling and stuff. I mean, you you said before about gut stuff being to do with often the fight or flight impulse of like you know throwing up or something before 
you, you, but that's a different yeah, thing. Yeah, so that's to... different. That's your, that's, yeah, mm. that's your nervous system. So your nervous system can, I would have said that that was the other way around. I would say that if you saw something and then you vomited because it was that traumatic or surprising or whatever phrase you want to use, like you yeah. might see in films and TV shows, that is your brain not reacting, your body reacting to what, what your brain is comprehending, not the other way around. Whereas I would say if you're in a well-lit area, perfectly happy, and then all of a sudden you get that funny feeling in your stomach like you're being watched or being followed, and it's not a dark alleyway, which would naturally make you scared, assuming something like that you didn't feel it earlier, you know, <laughs> then potentially that's your gut. But then they say that we know our brain takes in lots more information than we process consciously. So potentially when you get those gut feelings, it's still your brain. Uh, well, everything's your brain, but you know, there's, you could potentially still be like receiving information as you normally would through your eyes, ears, you know, and that kind of thing. But then your brain didn't quite get it, and so it's just put a worry in instead of a there's someone following you. It's just put like a funny feeling in because it didn't quite get. You know, I think that that could be something that's biologically innate, though, because of the whole having evolved as. You know, people that like because yeah, mm. in, instincts are involved for yeah, you know because we had to have good instincts mm. for not doing dangerous things or knowing we we're in yeah. a dangerous situation before we really are consciously taking everything in and go oh do you know what I did use yeah. this you know if I get get my piece of paper out and yeah, put a yeah. pros and cons list of like why well, I think I'm in a dangerous situation <laughs> darkness tick man with knife tick yeah yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, if that's kind of what I'm saying is, to some extent, if it was really obvious, you would recognize that and your brain would say, right, you're in a, a not very safe environment. And if it is normally a safe environment, like just walking through the park on a sunny day, and then all of a sudden you feel like you're not safe. I mean, obviously, if we have been through things, so if you have had trauma in your life, that could potentially be influencing how you feel and not be a true gut feeling if that makes sense but if you're perfectly happy and you've not really had some traumatic events then potentially that feeling is like those your brain's picking up on senses that you've not processed fully but then that's what i was saying about is it your brain or is it your gut you know is it your body we know that our nervous system reacts on its own without the brain so when you touch a hot pan and you know it's hot and you know you've touched it and your body knows it's hot your hand will pull away faster than, than your the signal goes to the spine. The spine reacts before the signal gets to the brain. Potentially that could have been debuffed by now. But that's what I was taught, we'll say, a while ago. So the potential is always there for these things to be debuffed. But I thought that was a really interesting fact. So it stuck in my head that, you know, certain things in the body can react to situations to protect itself without the brain making that conscious choice. So that's why I was thinking, like, our bodies are very whole. They're holistic. You know, there's a whole thing going on. It's not just the brain on its own. It's not just the gut on its own. It's not just the spine on its own. They all work together. So maybe trying to separate them out into like, oh, this is my gut brain's telling me to be be happy. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's a silly thing, you know, because they're all connected anyway. Because you're, all of your sensory receptors are in your head, apart from your skin, touch is everywhere. Mm. There's the feeling that you are your brain. You think you're in your head, basically, don't you? My very first thought to that was surely that's a natural reaction to knowing that we can live without our limbs 
So you wouldn't place your identity in your hand and your identity in your legs because you know if something happened to your legs and your hand, you would be fine. Where if something happened to your head, you would not be yeah. fine. Yeah, <laughs> well, so you think that's uh, you think that the placement so, of the self is a defense mechanism against the... <laughs> well, aren't you in your heart? Like, then? it's just a logical defense mechanism or something? <laughs> well, maybe you are. Maybe you that's are. That's what I mean. Like, maybe. If your hand gets chopped off or your like, arm, you get phantom limb stuff off don't you like you think it's still if you have a fake limb or i read oliver sax's book recently uh what's it called the man who mistook his wife for a hat that's an interesting title it do you know who oliver sax is he's a neurologist he's a neurologist one of them i think no probably a neuro something else maybe i don't know but have you ever seen the film awakenings no it's about him robin williams characters based on him He's just come across loads of people with like neuro issues, traumas, blah, blah, blah. There was a section of the book about amputees and them having really strange reactions to like thinking that they're... Because it's almost like they see their leg there, but it's not there, but they think it is. And so mm. I can't remember some of the specific stories and stuff. But basically, if you have a mm. limb removed, you still feel like, you know, in a way that doesn't matter, you're still the whole thing in your in a way yeah so what i mean what i was just sort of saying there mm. then is that like so it's, it's an argument i've sort of read about consciousness and stuff that it is illusionary to think that it is in your head because consciousness is the just the phenomenon of experiencing all the sensory stuff and you you trick yourself into thinking it's in your head because it's kind of logical to think that you are in your head because your eyes are there and you're seeing through your eyes and you're hearing through your ears and hmm. smelling through your nose. But why are you in your head? Yeah, I wouldn't have said that. I think maybe you are assuming that everyone thinks that. I think they do. I wouldn't have said that. You're enlightened, though. So. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I can see why people would think that. I'm but, backing uh, up what you just said about yeah. why is your body not a holistic rather than just inside your brain. That's what I sort of mean. But in terms of brain health, obviously everything you physically do and eat and things will affect your brain. And we always say brain food, you know, (laughs) eat your nuts, I don't know, that kind of thing. What do they say? Eat walnuts because they look like brains. (laughs) I wish it was that simple. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) But like in general, you know, it's uh, more recently, because I mean, this is what you were saying about as well, about science evolving. When I was younger... And I remember this for a fact. They used to say you can't make more neurons. And they used to say that you can't make more nerves. And they used to say that the brain didn't change once you were of a certain age, like four or five, something really young. And now we know the brain does change. No matter how old you are, you can continuously develop and grow those connections in the brain. Your gray matter can develop. And we also know that you can make new nerves though it's not very easy and it takes a very long time. And you can make more neurons through experiencing new things and uh, challenging the brain. So like um, coming back to the idea of neuroplasty. So even, but we, but it seems silly that we ever thought it wasn't possible because now that you think about it, it's like, well, if you wanted to do something intricate with your hands and you felt mm-hmm. clunky, like, I don't know, say something really that really needs a lot of hand coordination, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm so clunky. But eventually, if you kept practicing, even if you didn't get to a stage that you wanted to, you would get better. So obviously something is happening in the brain 
or it wouldn't unless it was only a physical issue unless you're doing like physiotherapy for your hands but assuming it's not assuming your hands would function normally anyway and then you're just struggling to get the signals to go to the hands well you can improve that so sometimes mm. it kind of seems a bit silly that we used to think that we couldn't grow and change i think that oliver Sacks has got loads of stories about that as well this is another book i should should mm. have given you before but it's shorter as well <laughs> I'm sure that if you have some sort of brain injury, then sometimes other parts of the brain develop to be able to do some of the things that the part of the brain that can't do the thing that... Does that make sense? Yeah, I've heard that. So I can't remember a specific example, but just like, it, you know, but... No, but, I... But yeah, there is, you know, person, that's, <laughs> I read those of that stuff in there. I should mention, mention that the book uh, that you... Borrow was behaved by Robert Sapolsky, wasn't it? I should mention that because I've already didn't mention the name of it. And mm. I'm sure he talks a yes. lot about neuroplasticity in the other 600 and something pages that you haven't read so far. Yeah. So eat walnuts. <laughs> so you're trying to improve brain health by doing what? Yoga things, I suppose. I mean, you say carry on because I'm just going to guess it on this. So people say like, you know, you want to take care of your brain, almost like your brain's a muscle or whatever. You know, you have to keep using it to keep it happy and healthy. And obviously, one of the things you can do is try and experience new things. That's good for neuroplasty. We've talked about obviously food does make a difference, your vitamin and nutrients, things like that. And then um, one of the other things that just went in and then went out of my brain so what's that called? <laughs> oh, what was I going to say? Um, I blame the heat. Um, oh, I remember now. <laughs> okay, there was a recent, I read recently that they did a study. Uh, I think it was on the news. And correct me if we've already talked about this, because it's fine. But um, they said that uh, the thing that helps people prevent dementia the most was continuing to work continuing to you know have a, a, a daily purpose in a sense you know get up do something you know and and you want to be doing it because obviously if you for, to some extent you wouldn't really work past when you need to work if you didn't want to be doing it so like continuing to work so you're saying people should still vote for biden just to make sure he doesn't slip completely into it <laughs> <laughs> margaret thatcher <laughs> We should never have got rid of her because no, <laughs> she'd still be with us now. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, they say like in in if you you could, if you look into it, you can see this obviously. But like some of the people that lived the longest in Japan, they continued to do something. You know, like I don't know. Recently, there was an old woman who's you know in her nineties and she makes she makes mochi and she's always made mochi like her whole life. She's made mochi and she's only just now saying that she might stop making mochi because she's tired. <laughs> Hell. you know why did you stop like i don't know 25 years ago but like obviously that that could potentially have been part of the reason why her health has continued because she's continued to have a purpose so it is important that not just that you try new things but that you feel like you are continuously you know have that purpose in your life that, that you know something to keep you mentally stimulated you know like you could even do something completely different say if you don't want to work anymore you could try and take a part-time degree you know online even you know it doesn't mean you have to go out and you know go to school again you can do things online these days so like even if it was something like that anything to keep the you know that little bit of pressure i just think it's really interesting that that's another thing that that we need to keep ourselves healthy is to 
to work. Yeah. So basically, be a yoga teacher because then that way you'll want to do it when you're old. <laughs> the problem is, there's just so many shit jobs, aren't there? So to then get an allotment oh, yeah. get, or something, you know. Yep, there you go. And with the with the way uh, inflation and bills are going, maybe you should get an allotment now. <laughs> I don't know. I think if there's inflation and stuff like that, probably you end up getting a lot of your produce nicked. Could you imagine? <gasps> yeah, that definitely happens. What a crazy idea. Yeah, I know someone who did it, though. Stole a load of blackberries when I was a student. Were they hungry? No, they're just like all free blackberries if I jump over this fence. and I didn't approve. I mean, I still ate the crumble, but <laughs> that's just rude, isn't it? Someone's making you like that. It's just yeah, just because just because you disapprove of where it's come from doesn't mean you're gonna yeah, let it go exactly. to waste. I wasn't gonna buy any food, probably. <laughs> I know, right? So, did anything else on brain? Did you, what did you do in the class that made that made for good brain health? So we talked about new experiences. So I tried to make the class as new as possible. So we covered Buddhi Mudra where you bring your thumb and your pinky finger together with the three fingers upright. Yeah, I find that really hard because my ring finger always wants to bend with my pinky finger. Do that. So, it's, yeah, see, yours is doing right, it too. It? Oh, yeah, because, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. And then we did Satanama. So you take your thumb and you tap your index finger, tap your middle finger, tap your ring finger, tap your pinky. And then if you want, you can take the mantra with it, Satanama. So you're working your hand-specific sensory areas of the brain by just bringing that awareness into the hands. And then we did a cat-cow, cat-child's-cow, which is a bit... That's cat-calf, surely. <laughs> yeah, cat-calf. <laughs> I like it. That's good. You're just trying to mix it up a little bit different. Maybe taking the breath in the opposite way to you normally do. So if you normally inhale when the belly's down, try exhaling then, just noticing how it feels and really challenging the brain. Like I find certain things like that because I've been practicing for a while really difficult, like swapping my breath in certain like cat cows and stuff like that. I find that quite a challenge for me. And then we did a bit of your usual kind of relaxation at the end just to try and bring some calmness and stuff into the mind. So what's the the science is there? Because um, I remember being told, again, keep referencing the fact that just because I use Sam Harris's app, so I do more my science and meditation and theory and stuff is always <laughs> like comes from him. But uh, even he has sort of said that the science of proving that meditation is good for you is very difficult to actually tangibly do you can't like, sort of like it's very hard to get studies that specifically say that meditation is literally good for the brain or at least some some been debunked however it doesn't seem 100 percent conclusive mm. okay is anything you've heard of scientific studies that make yoga or meditation literally like better for your brain health like does it is there something what what could be tangibly measured i suppose in i know that we've both discussed about like scanning of brains being different from people that are like monks in monasteries what they've measured in terms of brain activity is your brain waves during meditation so i haven't actually got that to hand but basically you have your different levels your beta your gamma your delta brain waves you know and each brain wave like that frequency resonates with a certain level activity that's going on in the brain and one of the things they discovered was that when you meditate rather than going into a sleep style brain wave which is what people would expect because you look like you're asleep you actually go into a heightened awareness style brain wave so things are more crisp and clear and decision making happens quicker and easier so is that in is that during 
That was during meditation. Yes, that would be during meditation. Not that's not to say it won't influence you afterwards, and you could have you know have that influence. But in terms of brain waves, those brain waves would have been happening during meditation. So it's like rather you you know you think of two sides of the spectrum. You know, one being like ready, ready, rearing to go, really crisp, really fresh, really like clear thoughts. And the other one being like quite sleepy, maybe even going into REM sleep, dreaming, you know, stuff like that, very bitty, no control. You would have thought that going into meditation would put you into a relaxed state, but it doesn't. It actually puts you into a state of like heightened awareness, but not in a negative way, in a very like controlled mm. uh, kind of way. So that's quite interesting. But obviously, all studies will have studies that kind of say like, oh, well, we didn't find yeah. that, you know, so I don't know how much... I don't know how much you would actually find about that if you really looked it up, but there were definitely things that I've read that have said the brain waves change during meditation. So potentially that could be something. Well, I have no studies to tell you hmm. about, so I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. If you want, we can always carry this on, you know, a little bit into another episode if we want to, and if we find anything more to talk about, because it obviously the brain, the brain, you know, you've there's a book there about it that's 500 pages long. We can talk about the brain as much as we want, really, <laughs> if we find more stuff on it that we want to add in. But anyway, I've got 15 minutes of my next class and I need to charge my mic, so we're going to have to cut it short. That's fine. That's enough for me. It's hot anyways. <laughs> I need to yeah. take my t-shirt off with impunity, I think. Yeah, I know, right? No more class. <laughs> right, so I will talk to you again yeah, yeah, soon. Yeah. We could maybe just do a thanks for listening and don't forget his website and uh, stuff again. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, because so like... You could say, thanks for listening. Um, the best way to find out about what classes I'm teaching and what other offerings I have on is to sign up to my newsletter. You can do this by messaging me on my socials or from my website, kaylamccormackyoga.com. And there's links to that below. And share, share this with your friends. And you can also follow me, which is also below all the stuff. <laughs> Everything's links. Read the links. <laughs> Check the links. <laughs>